good morning to you. Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Psalm 65 with me. Psalm 65, and as you're turning there, if you're here as a guest, if you're watching online, listening later on to our podcast, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, we are excited that you had decided to be here with us uh, to worship. If you're there with me at Psalm 65, would you stand for the reading of God's word? For the sake of time, we're going to read verses 1 and then down to 12 and 13. So starting at verse 1, Psalm 65. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. And to you shall vows be performed. Verse 12. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Can we pray? So, Father, we thank you for this morning. Oh, God, I order the reminder, Lord, that all of creation has been created for your glory. So, Father, calm our spirits this morning. And simply my prayer is that you would open our eyes to behold all that you are, all of your greatness, all of your goodness, all of your grace towards us, Lord. And as we reflect on those things, I pray that you would produce in our hearts an overflow of joy, of praise to your name. Lead us now, we pray, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. So today in Psalm 65, we are taking a pretty drastic shift from what we've been going through over the past almost 13 weeks. Uh, Paul in 1 Thessalonians says that we should be grateful in all things because that's the will of God for us. But what we've learned over the past 13 weeks is that often it's hard to be grateful for some of the things that we go through in this life. We go through pain. We go through struggles. We have temptations. We have people who betray us and, and attack us unrightly and As we see all these things, it breaks our hearts and it leaves us in devastation. But also in the past 13 weeks, we have seen how we should handle those things when we face them. We've been shown the gift of lamenting where we learn how to complain to God rightly. We learn to express uh, honestly to the Lord, but we've also learned how to entrust to the Lord all those things and then praise him for all that he does for us in those moments. But this moment in Psalm 65 our attention completely shifts, not to lamenting, but to praising. We're here praising God this morning. Psalm 65 is believed to have been written for the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a major feast every single year where the, when all the crops came in, they celebrated as the Israelites everything that God had given them for that year, but they also gave them their first fruits. So this is a very celebratory moment every single year. And in Psalm 65, we simply see why we should praise God every moment of every single day. Instead of speaking about the devastation of our lives, it speaks about the exaltation of our Lord. Instead of focusing on our problems, it solely focuses on our God. Now, as I go through this psalm, I want you to notice the connection between God's transcendence and his eminence. Hey, somebody's coming to get in the sub. <laughs> God is seen as the supreme being who is fully intimate and caring about every detail of his creation. And honestly, I just find it so fascinating this morning that Psalm 65 is where this is after all these psalms of lamenting. It almost seems out of place because we've been so much in this dirt for so many weeks. But I think even in this placement that God's teaching us something, that he's given this, this formula 
of how we should deal with this life, how lamenting and praising our best friends in the struggles that we face. In order to lament well, we must praise well. And let's flip it. We must praise well in order to lament well. Though it's right and good and healthy to complain to the Lord about what we are dealing with, at some point, we've got to get ourselves out of all of our mess, and we've got to fix our eyes on our king. We've got to be reminded this morning that who is sitting on the throne, and we've got to be reminded that he is here for us. A song called Gratitude, you might have heard it on the radio recently. Uh, I love that song, but they had a live recording of it last year, and, and Natalie Grant was there as a special worship leader. And Natalie Grant in this song said this statement, I thought it was so profound. She said, don't let your worry be louder than your worship. Don't let your worry be louder than your worship. Replace worry. You might have fears this morning. You might have doubts this morning. You might be sick this morning. Whatever it is. Don't let it be louder than your worship. Let's just keep the idea of worry here. When your worry is louder than your worship, you lose perspective. You lose hope. You lose purpose. But when you open your mouth and begin to worship and praise, that worship, that praise might not change your circumstances, but it will change you. It'll change you. It'll change your perspectives. It'll change how you feel. It'll change your affections. And listen, it will remind you of what and who really matters. Ultimately, it will open your eyes to see that there is a God in heaven, loving and merciful, sovereign and in control of all of your circumstances, and he's worthy of all the worship and praise that you could ever give him. So church, this morning, in this light of just praising God, I just want to join in with David and brag about God with you. Is that okay? Can we just brag about God this morning? And I just want to point out multiple reasons why every single one of us should praise and worship him and why everything belongs to him completely. So my prayer as we think about these reasons is that our hearts would overflow with gratitude, with joy, with praise, and that this passage would be an encouragement to each of us so that we could open our mouths and praise the Lord, but also be a comfort for every single person who are dealing with things in their lives this day. So our main idea, all praise belongs to our God because of his grace, his greatness, and his goodness. So first, all praise belongs to God because of his grace. Go with me back to verse 1. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion. And to you shall vows be performed. All you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions because blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. So all week I've had this picture of Psalm 24 in my mind. If you know Psalm 24, I believe it's one of the greatest passages in the Bible. But Psalm 24 gives us this picture of this grand supreme God who controls and owns everything, who created everything, and everything is for him. And this God in the Old Testament is seen as so wonderful that when people even saw his presence for a moment, they literally would die. If they touched the Ark of the Covenant, which represented his presence with his people, they would die. Isaiah, when they saw God in all of his glory, he said what? Woe is me. 
And the question in Psalm 24 is, who in the world can approach this God? Who can ascend the hill of the Lord, verse 3 says. Who shall stand in his holy presence? Verse, one gives us the, verse 4 gives us the answer. It says, he who has clean hands, pure hearts, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and who does not swear deceitfully. Now, the short answer to the question is this. Nobody. There's not a single person on this planet who in and of themselves is worthy and who is able to climb up the mountain of the Lord to stand in his presence. We can't. We're too sinful. We're too wicked. We're too broken. We're too covered with our shame and guilt. Isaiah 59 has this picture. God can even hear our prayers because of our sin. He hates sin. We can't be around him. But the good news of the Bible is that Though we can't climb up the hill of the Lord, here's the good news. God came down the hill to us. He came down the hill to us. And in the fullness of time, God, by his grace, came down in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and he dwelt among us. And Jesus did many wonderful things, didn't he? He healed the blind. He raised dead to life. He cast demons out. He spread joy everywhere, but the greatest thing he did was that he lived a perfect life. He's sin-free, sinless. He's the only one willing to go and able to go up the hill of the Lord. And at this perfect moment, in God's perfect timing, by his grace, Jesus, the perfect son of God, the perfect lamb of God, went up the hill of Calvary. We're in the place of sinners. Went and paid a perfect sacrifice once for all that was wrath-satisfying, sin-atoning, debt-removing forever. And he rose from the grave three days later. And those who place their faith in him and his work for their salvation is covered, not now by their sin and shame, but by his beautiful, wonderful righteousness. And I just get this picture this morning of Psalm 65. Verses 1 through 4, as the aftermath of this grace of God. And I get this picture that Jesus completes the work of our redemption on our behalf, and then he picks us up on his shoulders, and he carries us up the hill of the Lord himself, and he places us in front of God Almighty and all of his wonderful presence, and he places us there with boldness and forgiveness and righteousness and adoption, and we're holy forever. And notice the continual blessings of God's grace in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, he hears our prayers. He atones for our sin, verse 3. Verse 4, he brings us into the satisfaction of his presence. Can we just think about that for a moment? This holy God, Psalm 24 God, who is so big, so grand, so holy, so perfect, that when people look at him, they die. That God now receives us through his son, and he hears our prayers. He atones for our sin. He brings us into the satisfaction of his presence. This presence that Psalm 16 says, it's the fullness of joy and life forevermore. He leads us into that. That's how gracious our God is. I mean, who in the world could receive such wonderful things? But because of the grace of God, through the blood of Jesus, we now have this relationship with the God of heaven. 
where we have full access into his presence, where we can have sweet, all-satisfying, heavenly communion with him forever. We once weren't able to climb up the hill of the Lord, but, but now, by God's grace, he has carried us up the hill himself. Amen. Oh, praise belongs to God because of his marvelous grace. Secondly, all oh, praise belongs to God because of his greatness. Verse 5. But awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness. O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. The one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who steals the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the turmoil of the people, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in all at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. So as I mentioned a few minutes ago, notice the transcendence of God, but also the eminence of God. Here in this section, we see the transcendence. He is all powerful. He is all grand. He is completely great in every aspect of that word. And just let's notice a few things about his greatness and his power in this text. Verse six, it says again, the one who is by his strength established the mountains. He established it with his might. He steals the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the turmoil of the people. So he created and controls everything. At the very beginning of time, the Bible says it was just God. There's nothing else. Genesis 1, there was this utter darkness. And at his perfect moment, he spoke and things existed. Think about that power. He speaks. One word speaks in everything created. With the vapor of his breath, the complete universe begins to roll into motion. Trillions of stars, billions of galaxies are formed. Earth, sky, water, ground, plant, vegetation, all of the animals of the world formed and created by the vapor of his breath. And at the very last, the crown jewel of his creation, human beings were created with all of our intricate and amazing abilities and parts that we all are created with. And here's the aspect and truth of this. Every single thing that was created, you name it, from the smallest antique to the greatest galaxy in the world was created for one thing, and that's to praise and magnify our creator forever and ever. Colossians 1.16 says this, For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Not only did God create everything, but he controls everything as well. Verse 7 again says, he stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the turmoil of the peoples. So we had a pretty bad storm this past Thursday, right? I mean, that thing was terrifying. I didn't know it was even here. I got outside of here from studying, and Megan said, don't come home. <laughs> I said, oh, gosh, why? She said, it's lightning and storming and windy, and it's crazy, and we're just sitting in the middle of the floor, and we're petrified. Our dog's shaking at home. And that, This is what happens every time a bad storm comes, comes around here. I always stop and I always pray. No matter if I might be outside with my dog, I might be in my car as we're going away somewhere to try to get, find some shelter, I always pray the same thing. I say, God, would you protect my family? Would you protect our home? Would you protect this area that all of us live in? Why? 
because you are the only one who controls every aspect of nature. There's no such thing as wind that's random. There's no such thing as a hurricane that's random. There's no such thing as an earthquake that's random. The Bible teaches that God controls every single aspect of nature. And nature does exactly what God says it to do. In Mark chapter 4, I preached on this text a few years ago. But Jesus says this whole day of ministry and he's exhausted and they get in a boat and they go over to the sea and down in Mark chapter 4, this great storm comes. And, and it's so bad that the disciples truly believed that they were going to die. And, and at this moment of desperation, they go to Jesus and they say, Lord, do you not care that we're going to die? So Jesus wakes up. He's taking a nap. And down at verse 39, he says, he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, notice, peace and be still. And what happens? The wind ceased and there was a great calm. And I love what the response is in verse 41. It says, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That's our God this morning. Notice his greatness. He controls and he also calms creation. And praise be to him, he also controls and calms the nations. Again, verse 7, he stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, but notice the turmoil of the peoples. So he calms the chaos of the nations. Now notice the good news of that today. We've got a lot of crazes that's happening right now, don't we? We've got wars everywhere. There's probably wars that we're not even aware of that's happening. Threats of nuclear wars. There's hatred. There's violence all around. But I got really good news. The Bible teaches that every single leader, every governmental system, every governmental party is controlled by the God of the universe. He placed them in their position. And the good news this morning is that Putin can only do but so much. Biden can only do but so much. That's no joke on him. Not picking on him. He just can only do but so much. Why? Because God gives him a specific amount of power. He restrains him from doing so many other things, and he allows other things because God is sovereign. And just imagine if God wasn't in control of everything this morning. Imagine the chaos that this world would be under. There would literally be death everywhere. But this is what this text teaches God controls every aspect of the nations perfectly in his sovereign power and grace. So today we pray for this world, amen? We pray for peace. We lift up all the fighting and chaos. We lift up all the leaders. We pray and pray, but we also pray and praise and put our trust in the only one who can calm the chaos and turmoil of the nations. Just listen to Psalm 46, verse eight. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Just breathe this in this morning. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. So God not only created and controls every aspect of the world, but he ultimately does all of this to display his glory to the nations through his awesome deeds. Go with me to verse 8. 
so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. So the ultimate purpose of all of God's awesome deeds in creation is for his glory to be displayed to every single people group on this planet and for them to worship and praise his name. Psalm 19 gives us this picture that all the stars in heaven are a continual canvas, a continual, uh, uh, almost a promotion, if you will, of God's glory forever and ever. Listen to Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invincible attributes, namely his external or eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So not only does God reveal his glory to all people through his creation, but notice the text. He also demonstrates his glory and awesome deeds through his workings and control of the nations. Back in Exodus 9, God tells Moses to go and warn Pharaoh one last time to let his people go. And down in verse 15 and 16, this is what he says. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, Pharaoh, to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Isn't that amazing? God uses everything to display his glory to all peoples. Our God is a transcendent God, and this is what I don't want you to miss. That this transcendent God, by his love and mercy and grace, is also imminent in his creation. And he wants to be known, and he wants to be intimately involved in the care and preservation of his creation. C.S. Lewis said this, God is both further from us and nearer to us than any other being. I love Psalm 113 and down in verse 7. This is incredible. You get this picture of this sovereign God. And in verse 7, it says this. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. So today we're starting to collect money for Cleveland County Rescue or a pregnancy resource center through filling up baby bottles. And next week is the official day of uh, uh, the National Day of Sanctity of Life. But how encouraging is that text? Our sovereign, perfect, holy God cares enough about us that he hears the prayers of the most vulnerable and most broken in this world. He hears and answers the prayers of the orphan of the single parent, of the single mom, the homeless, the elderly, the young couple. Brothers and sisters, our God cares about us. And he cares enough to reach down into our world and display awesome deeds on our behalf. But our transcendent God is not only intimately involved in the care and preservation of us as his people, he is also intimately involved in the care and preservation of all of his creation. So thirdly, all praise belongs to God because of his goodness. Because of his goodness. Down to verse 9. 
You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grains, for so you have prepared it. Verse 10, you water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with with showers, and blessing its growth. And you crown the year with your bounty. Your your wagon trails overflow with abundance. So in this passage, we, we get this picture of God being the master gardener who perfectly cares for his creation. He knows exactly every single thing that our creation needs, and he delights in providing it for us. Notice the terms there, greatly, full, overflow, abundance. Verse 9 says that it is God's ordained will to greatly care for all of his creation. Verse 11 says that he crowns the year, that word bounty means goodness. He crowns the year with his goodness. Every single raindrop, snowflake, ray of sun is an overflow of his abundant goodness towards his creation. James 1 to 17 says, Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. John 1 16, you know this verse. For from his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. He saves us by his grace. And by every breath that we take, he continually pours out his grace towards us forever. These verses here display God's willingness to pour out his goodness and all his creation. But they also reveal all of creation's desperate need for God's goodness every single day. I believe these verses in this song sum this up very well. O Lord, you are my God, that claim belongs to only you. The architect of life, each breath I draw was drawn by you. If dependence runs in your design, then who am I outside of you? Lord, without your breath, I won't survive, so I must be made for trusting you. In my grandparents' house in their spare bedroom, it's one of my favorite pictures that's ever been painted, and it's this picture of a farmer and his wife praying in their field over the seed that they had just planted in the ground. And I love that picture because that's what, exactly what this text is implying. Because this couple knows what all creation already knows, that every created thing is fully dependent on our creator to exist. Everything. In order for that couple in that picture to have food, God must provide it. In order for them to have money, in order that so they can survive the rest of the year, God must provide it. If he doesn't provide those things, they will not survive. They've got to fully trust him because he is the only one who can cause their crops to grow. Same is true for us, isn't it? In order for us to have food on our tables in a few minutes, we have to have money. Things have to be cooked and prepared. In order to have cars and homes and shelter, God must provide those things for us. Because if he doesn't, we just won't have them. We need him for every aspect of our lives, of our beings. We need his air in our lungs to breathe at this very moment. We need our good God. 
everything in all of creation is literally hanging on every ounce of the goodness of God that he pours out on us. We need his sustaining goodness every single moment and praise God. He's not stingy, but notice he's graciously generous to pour it out over all creation. Notice the response of creation now in verse 12. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. So God's overflow of goodness, notice, causes all of creation to overflow in joyful song. I can just hear as Jesus is going in Jerusalem on the back of the donkey, the Pharisees are fussing at him because his people are praising him as he goes in. And Jesus just says, if they don't praise me, if my people don't praise me, the very stones in the ground will praise me. Just picture that all of creation in this beautiful harmonic sound praising our God because of all of his goodness. So let's just picture this and then I'm done. Verses one through four, God's people are clothed with the beauty of Jesus's righteousness. And here in verses 12 and 13, all of creation is clothed with the beauty of his goodness. And now together as a glorious symphony, we overflow in abundant praise and worship to God because of God's overflow of grace and favor towards us. So what? So let me go ahead and invite the worship team to go ahead and come up here and get ready because I'm done after this because the application is this simple. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise him for his grace. Praise him for his greatness. Praise him for his goodness. Amen? All of creation is already doing it. How do stars praise God? They just do exactly what God created them to do. And that's what he's calling us to do this morning, to do exactly what we've been created to do, which is to praise him with everything that we are. If you go with me, to go ahead and turn to Revelation 5. Revelation 5, I just read that this, this morning. I think this is the perfect text as we close. Down to verse 11. As John said, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbing myriads of myriads, thousands upon thousands, and saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Verse 13, notice the words. And I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So this morning, church, do not let your worry be louder than your worship. Trust him. Put your full faith in him and open your mouth and praise him because he is worthy of all praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name, we'll stand and worship together.